can be seated. Glad you're, uh, you're with us today. And, uh, you know, I just love that hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness. And as you think about how great God really is, how often do we take it for granted? How often do we forget what we have in Jesus? And as a matter of fact, um, today that's, that's really what our message is going to be on. Um, I'm not sure if, uh, if you have your Bibles with you, but if you do, I'd love for you to open up to Luke chapter 17. Actually, we're going to be flipping around from different chapters, but the, the main one we're going to look at is Luke chapter 17. And Luke chapter 17 actually has to do with Thanksgiving. The passage we'll look at today, you may have heard before on a Thanksgiving Eve service of some sort, but what it's about, it's about giving thanks. Anybody have any idea how long it's been since Thanksgiving? Seems like forever, doesn't it? It's only been seven weeks. Only seven weeks. It's only been three weeks since Christmas. It seems like unbelievable to me that it's only been that short amount of a time. But when you think about Thanksgiving... You know, it's funny, uh, you, you get on social media or, or whatever you might do. Uh, you, maybe you just write things down in a journal. And, and for the month leading up to Thanksgiving, we, we talk about what we're thankful for. Or on the day of, we talk about what we're thankful for. But Thanksgiving is more than just the month of November, and it's more than just the day of, of feasting. Thanksgiving is, a, is more than just a day. It's a lifestyle. But often we forget that. Often Thanksgiving isn't something that we, we focus on. But if you look at the Bible, it's a theme that runs throughout. It's a theme that runs throughout. And before we even get to Luke chapter 17, what I want to do is I want to look at a few other things as, as Paul writes in the New Testament to different churches about being thankful, about giving thanks. So let's pray together and then we'll get into that. God, we are so grateful, so thankful that we have the opportunity to be able to be here this morning. That you gave us another day to breathe, another day to live, another day to praise you. And God, I pray that today, it's not my words, but yours. I pray that, that we see a different perspective on life when we walk out of here today. Thanks to your word and your message. We pray it in your name. Amen. One of my favorite passages in all of Scripture is found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16, 17, and 18. It says this. It says, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. And I emphasize the word in because it's not for all circumstances, but in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Paul's writing that to the church at Thessalonica. He's wanting to point to them to say, give thanks. Make sure that even whatever the situation might be, to give thanks. When we look, and he writes to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21, he says, address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God, the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. It's part of the reason why we're going to put together that night of worship in a couple of weeks. Because we want to come together and we want to sing hymns and we want to sing spiritual songs and we want to lift up the praise to God to give thanks to Him. Colossians chapter 3, verses 15 through 17. Paul, once again, writing to a different church. says, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be what? Thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, with thankfulness in your heart to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord, giving thanks to God. 
the Father through him. Giving thanks. It's a theme that, that runs throughout the Bible. I'm just hitting the, the, the peak of, of everything, just the tip of the iceberg. There's so much about giving thanks and about giving thanks, and that's the theme that, that Christians should follow, that Christ followers should walk in. Would you say that if I were to ask, the theme across our society is giving thanks. Would you agree or disagree? Disagree, obviously. Unfortunately, even in our society, Christians fall into that. We're not good at giving thanks. As a matter of fact, we're raising generations that give less and less thanks than the generation prior to it. As a matter of fact, the most recent generation is called the millennial generation. There's a new workforce that's out there. There's a new college graduate going in, and a Boston consultant, he sat down with a bunch of college graduates after talking over with previous generations to say, are you guys ready for this new generation to come in? What is one word you would use to describe this millennial generation coming in? He sat down with all these millennial college graduates and said, guys, I've talked it over. They've all come up with one word. It starts with the letter E. What do you think it is? And they're like, ooh, energetic. It's like, nope. Exciting. Nope. Enticing. Mm-mm, not quite. You know, all these E words. Excellent. You know, laying all these words out there, saying this is, this is what we think we are. He said, you know what everybody else thinks you are? Entitled. Entitled's the answer. Entitled. The millennials have been labeled the entitled generation. Entitled means those who feel like everyone owes them and they deserve more. Is that a giving thanks <laughs> definition? Not so much. Actually, it's quite the opposite. And it's crazy to look at it and crazy to think about it. And you look at the older generations that might say, yeah, that's exactly right. You know whose fault it is? It's the older generation. It is the older generations. We have bred that in them. We have been the ones, and I, I don't know where I fall in that. I think I'm Gen X. I'm not sure. There's weird definitions of which one it is. I think I'm borderline between them all. But, but when you, you look, I feel younger than I am. But the, the, the thing is, is that you look at it and you say, okay, what have we done to do it? What have we done that brings that on? Really, our attitudes and actions have done that to bring it on in this generation. You look at how hard the baby boomers worked and the Gen Xers worked, and they did it in order to provide everything that we thought that our generation would need. And it kind of went down the line because you look at my grandparents' generation— the World War II generation, where they would save Ziploc bags by washing them out and hanging them over the, over the sink faucet. Maybe you've been there. Maybe you remember that. Or they would wipe off tinfoil to st- reuse it, and you'd be like, what? There's a whole box of it right over there. You know, we don't need the crinkled up stuff. But they would save and save and save because they knew that's what they had to do. And they didn't want their kids to have to do that, so they did everything they could. And their kids didn't want to have to do that, so they did everything they could. And now look what was produced. And on top of that, we've worked so hard and so much that even things like divorce have caused this. Because in divorce, we've worked so hard that our families have separated, but we didn't want our kids to think we didn't love them. So what we did is we poured money, we poured things into them. And we wanted to protect them from having to do what the, the World War II generation had to do. We wanted to protect them even physically, not just in their heads, but, but their hearts. We didn't want them to, to get hurt. When I was a kid, we would load up in my dad's pickup truck, and you know where we would sit at? In the back. 
I know, like 18 of us, as many as we could possibly fit. Nobody was allowed to sit on the tailgate. That was the only rule because who knew when it was going to open? But that was, that was it. That was, that was our rule, and we laugh about it. When I rode a bike, the kids who wore helmets were made fun of, okay? They're the only ones who can think straight now, but then, then we made fun of them. We want to protect the generation today. And, and that's, that's where it kind of comes in. Think about their feelings. We want to protect their feelings. When I was a kid, if I lost, guess what? I lost. That was it. I went home empty-handed. Kids today, everybody gets a trophy. Everybody gets a ribbon. It's okay. A little, yeah, a juice box, whatever it might be. Yeah, you're just, you pat them on the back and you send them on the way because you at least tried. Well, you know what that's bred today? Let's bred a workforce that's okay with quitting in the middle because at least I tried. And at least I get some benefit out of the deal. And that's, the, that's what we have done. That's where we have gone. We've protected their heads. We've protected their hearts. And when it's all said and done, we built a generation that really is about me. It's about all the stuff that I have. And I would like to say that that's the only generation, but you go to every generation. It's, it really is. We run a selfish society. And it's not just one generation that does it. Think about this. How many of you guys have an iPhone or some sort of smartphone? When you go to, everybody, wow, okay. Um, when you go to, to download something, and it's just taking a little bit longer than it should, how upset do you get with that? When you're waiting on your mail and the little wheel's spinning a little bit, and you're like, come on, what is taking so long? It's going to take like five whole seconds. Ever get upset about that? Remember in the day when NASA's computers and their giant spaceships weren't nearly as powerful as what's in your hand? And we forget about that because we think we need that. Uh, fast food. Is fast food ever fast enough? No. No. We got the, the kid working for minimum wage behind the counter that, that's trying to figure out how to put the, the bun in the oven kind of deal. But he's, you know, he's, he's not doing it quite fast enough for us. And we get frustrated and we get a little bit put out. And we're, oh, you know, it's all about that. How about, um, this is funny. Uh, my, I don't know if I should mention this because this will be the one going on the, uh, on, online, but, uh, you know, the, uh, the idea of streaming now is, is actually really knocking out a lot of the things that, that Dish Network and, and DirecTV are doing. As a matter of fact, Dish Network is getting ready to start a streaming thing where you can buy individual channels to have streamed to you now because they realize that streaming's that way. Uh, I don't, we gave up all that stuff a, a while ago, and I don't have any of that, but I do have an Apple TV that we stream stuff. And in the process of streaming stuff, there's a Watch ESPN app. Well, on the Watch ESPN app, you have to have ESPN already in order to have a code that you enter in, and you have a, a, an account already set up, and then they'll let you watch ESPN. Well, I don't have that. My sister does. She doesn't use hers, so I said, hey, can I borrow yours? Borrow. Um, and uh, so I, I borrow hers. Uh, to watch Monday Night Football or whatever happens to be on ESPN, which seems more and more stuff ending up on ESPN. And so uh, the problem is, is that while I'm watching Monday Night Football, it glitches. It starts, eh, you know, dropping back for the bat. And, and you're like, wait a second, hang on, just what's going to happen next? And you get, I get really frustrated with it. And what I want to do, I want to call ESPN and give them a little peace of my mind because I'm getting a free service through my sister and it should be better than what it is, right? 
Because that's what it is. We, we get into this mindset that it really is that we should have things handed to them, uh, handed to us. We shouldn't get negative criticism because if we do, it's going to hurt our feelings and we want this. Uh, we really have this thing that it really is about this sphere that circles around me, not the other way around. We get ourselves caught up in this. The truth is, is we are consumers. We are consumers. We like things our way and we like things right away. That, that's just the way it is. We like to consume, and if a place doesn't have what we want, we complain. And if they don't answer our complaints, you know what we do? We go someplace else. It falls that way in churches. Do you realize that 10 churches close every day? Average of 10 churches closes every day. Why is that? Because they're not providing what the consumer wants. That's not the way that it's working. Do you realize that last week, Macy's and JCPenney's closed 59 U.S. stores? You know why? Because not that people stopped buying clothes, not that people stopped buying stuff, it's the stuff they didn't want to buy from there because they didn't offer what the consumer wanted. We look at that and we see, man, it's all about consuming. I don't get what I want, so I'm going to go someplace else. Think about it in this way. We consume. If it's about us, it's all good. If it's not about us, it's not so good. I thought about, think about rules, okay? I thought about throwing Des Bryant's picture up on the board today. Just going to be honest with you, but I thought that might be cold. Because one week he's complaining for rules one way, and the next week he's complaining for rules the other way. If it goes our way, it's great. If it doesn't, not so great. You don't want to use that as an example? Think about this. When you're driving down the road and you're doing 15 miles an hour over the speed limit, and you're just driving along, driving, 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 and somebody goes flying by you. What's the one thing you're thinking for that guy that went flying by you? I sure hope he gets a ticket. (laughs) Why? Because he's breaking more of the rules than you are. That's the reason why. That's the reason why. And if you're the one that gets pulled over, you're mad. If he's the one that gets pulled over, you're like, honk, honk, hey. You know, that's that's the way we are, is it not? When it's about us and something applies to us, all good. But if it doesn't apply to us or it gets used against us, not so good. And we get upset about it. Because we're consumers, it really is about us. What would happen if we took a different attitude, a different approach? What would happen if instead we had that attitude, instead of about being us, an attitude of gratefulness, that what we have is good enough? What if we stopped and thanked God for what we already have versus wanting to consume what we don't, wanting to have more of what we don't? What if that happened? Do you realize it would literally change the world It would literally change the world because our economy would take a huge dump. It would all fall apart. You know why it would all fall apart? Because everybody would be satisfied with what they have versus what they didn't. And if we were satisfied with what we have, we wouldn't go out and buy more stuff. And all of our economy would be like, oh, what's going on? Oh, people are satisfied. Let's create more advertising that would make us unsatisfied, ungrateful. What would it do if we were grateful? Like I said before, our passage today is on gratitude. It's on thanksgiving. It's found in Luke chapter 17. So if your Bibles are open to it, please follow along as we start in verse 11. It is a a story about 10 lepers, 10 lepers that Jesus encounters. Starting in verse 11 says this, on the way to Jerusalem. It says that because as we've seen, as we've been walking chronologically through the gospel, we see this is him heading towards Jerusalem, heading towards what we're going to celebrate on Easter. This is him going that way. On his way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. 
And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance, and they lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Now let me just pause right there for a second and give you some context. A few months ago, we were in Luke chapter 5 as we've been walking chronologically. And in Luke chapter 5, it was one of Jesus' first miracles where he heals a leper. And we talked in depth about leprosy, about the skin disease that's highly contagious and uncurable, and it would, it would just eat away at the flesh, eat away at the nerve endings, and cause all kinds of problems, so much so that fingers would fall off, your nose, excuse me, your nose would fall off. All these kind of things would start happening, and you were not only in physical pain because of all of the stuff going on, you were also in emotional pain because nobody was allowed to touch you. Nobody was allowed to come close to you. You had to stay away from the city, and when you came in, you had to say, I'm unclean. I'm unclean. It was a Levitical law. It was all laid out there for them, and they said, stay away. So these guys were in emotional pain. They were in physical pain. What was probably the prayer that was constantly going through their mind? When you're in emotional pain, when you're in physical pain, and you're just sitting there, and you have all of your mind and all of your thoughts going, the thing that's going to go to your mind is, God, why me? Why me? Why is this happening to me? It, it's an inward selfish thought. I've had it a number of times. number of times. I've gone into hospital rooms and prayed with people that said, why is God doing this to me? I've sat in the hospital room saying, God, why is this happening to me? And we, we make it about us. So they've been praying this. They've been hurting. They're crying out. And when they recognize this guy walking up, they probably heard the story from Luke chapter 5 that that actually happened, that he healed a leper. And they're like, that's the guy. I bet he can do it. And they cry out to him. Lord, help us. Help us. Have mercy on us. And Jesus responds in verse 14 by saying this. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. I mean, I don't, I don't have any idea how that looked. The, the, the Levitical law said if you were going to be deemed cured from leprosy, you had to go to the priest. So he said, go to the priest and show themselves. So they started to go. And I don't know if things started coming back, if their nose reformed on their face, if Bill was walking next to George and George goes, hey, Man, Bill, you're looking a whole lot better than you did about five seconds ago when we started walking towards the priest. I don't know how it all played out. But as they went, it says they were cleansed. They were healed. This was being taken care of within them. The one thing they've prayed for, for how long? After they would say, why me? Was God probably, take this from me. Do anything you can. Heal me. I want to be restored. I want to be back to what I used to be. God, only you can do it. Crying out to God. And guess what just happened? Their prayers of unbelievably impossible odds were answered. They're walking back. They have all of this. And guess what happens? They get excited. And they start heading for the priests. And they're running for the priests. And they have everything in their mind except for how many? One. Look what it says here in verse 15. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, were not ten cleansed? Where where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except for this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. 
I mean, picture this. Jesus is standing there. There's a guy at his feet, a Samaritan. You know, Luke makes very clear to point that out, that he's, he's different from the rest. But it's a Samaritan that's at his feet, and he is praising God for being healed. What happened to the other nine? Where did the other nine go? What were they doing? Were they not as grateful? Absolutely they were as grateful. But where did they go? Why did they keep walking? Why did they go the other way? Why didn't they turn back around? I mean, it's not like they were bad guys, you think? If it were you, and you'd been excommunicated from your family, and you'd been excommunicated from your society, and everything that you had, you'd lost your job, you'd lost everything you had, and Jesus brought it all back to you, how would you respond? I'm sure these guys, like I said, weren't bad guys, but they probably had the whole idea of, man, I didn't deserve this to begin with. And somehow or another, everything I had was taken away from me. And now I have it back. I have my life back. I have my things back. I'm going to go visit my family. I'm going to go restore what I have. And there's so many different ways to look at this. There's so many different ways to stop and say, what can we take from this passage about giving thanks? And there's so many different things. We can look at the nine and say, nine is kind of like a religious type person that says, thank you, God, for the little thing you did. I'm going to take it from here. We can look at all different sorts of ways and angles at this, but this is what I want to look at today. It's one question for you. That question is, is will you be the one? Will you be the one? Because only one out of 10 went. 90% went the other way. 10% stayed and praised Jesus. Will you be the one? Will you fall on that 10%? Will you be the one that when you wake up in the morning, will daily pause and connect with God and thank him for another day to breathe and another day to just be alive? Because at any point in time last night, he could have taken that from you. When you woke up this morning, you had another day. Were you grateful for it, or was it just another day? When you woke up this morning, were you excited about coming to church, or were you, Matt's going to be speaking again today. You know, I don't, I don't know. When you wake up in the morning to go to work, are you excited about work? When you wake up in the morning, are you excited about going to school? When you wake up in the morning, are you excited to go to the gym? You have to remember, will you be the one? We'll talk about that more in a second. Will you stop all the busyness? Will you be the one that takes a moment during the day to praise and honor and worship and glorify the one who has saved you? Will you take a moment? Will you be the one? And not just with God. Think about the the people that God has put in your life that, that have impacted you. Will you be the one that takes a moment to just say thank you to them? When I was a kid, if I got a gift, I was required before I got to play with that gift to write a thank you note. I would be a smart aleck teenager and put thanks. You know, the, mom wasn't real happy about that. I have to rewrite a new note that had a few more words than that on it. But it was about showing gratitude. When was the last time we stopped and actually thanked somebody for investing in us? When was the last time we stopped and thought about a teacher that is investing in your kids, whether it be on the other side of this wall right here or if it be at your school? What about a coach? What about somebody at your job place that is investing you to bring you into the next level, whatever it might be? When was the last time we said thanks? 
Thanks for investing in my kids. Thanks for investing in my family. Thanks for investing in me. When will we be the one or will we be the one that just takes time to show gratitude instead of saying, that's what I deserve. When I come to church, I deserve to have a kids ministry. When I go and send my kids to school, I deserve to have teachers that, that take care of my kids. It's two totally different attitudes. Which one are we going to have? Will you be the one or will you be part of the nine? Will you be the one that stops and think about somebody other than yourself? I know it's difficult. It's easy to fall into the nine. As a matter of fact, Jesus, just a few chapters before, we skipped over Luke chapter 15 because it's three parables, and in those three parables, we're going to talk about more of the summer. But if we go back and just take a real quick look at Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 11, there's a story, a parable that Jesus talks about two sons, two sons that fall into the nine. Two sons that are ungrateful. Two sons that have very much an attitude about them. Let's take a real quick look at it. Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 11, it says this. And he said, he being Jesus, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Now, when we look at that, maybe you've heard this before. It's a story of the prodigal son, and, and we see an attitude here that is found in the younger son. And he says to his dad, Dad, I know that you've worked really, really hard for all that you have. I know that you've invested and that you've made these investments and that you've poured into this and you've bled blood, sweat, tears out in the field. You've done all these things, but you know what? I want what you have, and I want it now. Anybody ever seen the movie Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory? Yeah. If you haven't, it's like 40-something years old, so I'm going to spoil it for you since you've missed it already. But this is the deal, all right? There's a bunch of kids that go into this chocolate factory. In the process of the chocolate factory, you see all different types of people, all different types of selfishness that takes place in there. But there's one in particular that's always stood out, and it's Veruca Salt. And she goes in, and there's these geese that lay golden eggs. And she wants a golden egg. Actually, she doesn't just want the golden egg. She wants the goose that lays it. And she busts out into song. I'm not a big person that watches movies that have lots of songs and musicals. That's not my thing. But she busts out into song, and she says, I want it now. I want it my way, and I want it now. That is a microcosm of society, and even as much, it's a microcosm of this passage. I want it now. Give it to me, give it to me, give it to me. And what's the dad do? He does. Not only to the younger son, but a lot of people miss this. He also gives the inheritance to the older son because he said he divided it between them. And we miss that because we focus on this, this partying uh, going to live this wild lifestyle son who just wants to have everything right this very second. We see it in today's society. Look at the generation that is in debt up to their eyeballs because they have to have it now. They have to have the same thing that mom and dad had that they worked their whole life for. They have to have it now. Whether that be cars or houses or whatever it might be. Instead of saying, we're going to work to this point and we're going to save money, we're going to wait because waiting is the opposite of having now. And we're going to do that. We're going to, we're going to make sure that we have this in way. Because when we see the I want it now attitude, guess what? It works out poorly for 
Veruca Salt. She ends up going down the chute because the thing goes to bad egg. She drops down the chute. Dad doesn't know where she went. It works out bad for the young son because he ends up in a pig pen. And guess what? It's going to end up bad for our society that constantly is in debt and paying 29% on their interest because they're always getting behind and so on and so forth. It's going to work out poorly. And the thing that we see is this, I want it now. I want it now. And it's okay not to have it now. It really is. And that's what Jesus is teaching here. But there's a second part that we see in this story. That as this all progresses, the son comes to this realization that he has it really bad off. He's sitting in a pig pen. He said, I could serve my dad and be better off than where I'm sitting at right now. My servants are treating me better than than I am at this point, so I'm going to go back. And we see him run back, and he runs back, and the dad is waiting there with open arms, and there's a great parable, a great moral to the story saying that Jesus is waiting for you who have wandered away. And it's a great part of it all. But in that parable, in that that great moral, we miss the attitude of the second brother. You know what the second brother does when the son, the younger brother, returns? Look at what it says in verse 28. But he was angry that his brother had come back and that his dad was throwing him a party, and he refused to go into the party. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, These many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat. Say that with a whiny voice, because I'm pretty sure that's how he said it. You never gave me a young goat. Because that's what's going on. Yeah, and there's a man at the end. Yeah, exactly. That I might celebrate with my friends. Look at all I did. Or even in this case, look what I didn't do. I deserve more. Somebody's calling the church phone right now. But I deserve more. Instead of I want it now, it's I got it. It divided up. It's all good right there. But I want more. I stayed. I obeyed. I did everything you asked. You should give me more. We fall into that trap too, don't we? I want more. I deserve a better job. I know I didn't work real hard in high school or college, but I deserve a better job that pays more. I want more. I want more when it comes to my cell phone. Do you know why they line up for the iPhone 6 and iPhone 6S? Because their iPhone 5S just wasn't good enough because I deserve more. I want more. And they will complain to their contract company, whether it be AT&T or Verizon, saying, no, you don't understand, I want more. I deserve more. I might not be done with the contract I signed the first time, but I want more. We have that mentality too. That is the attitude of the nine. They wanted more. They were blessed by God, but they wanted more. They wanted to be able to go, and they wanted to be able to meet their families and do those. They could do all of that. All they had to do was stop and say thank you, but only one did. So how can we be the one? How can we be the one? I think this is what it boils down to. We need to have a reality check. We need to have a reality check. When I very first started in ministry, I was a junior high pastor, and we had our group was called Real Life Student Ministries. And what we tried to do is just focus on the fact that everything kind of outside of of what God has to offer wasn't really real. It was a false sense of real. It made us feel good, but it wasn't the real life that God had offered to us when it says in John 10, 10, I came to give you life. 
and life more abundantly, life to the full. So we called it real life, saying this is what God is giving to us. And during the week, our Wednesday night program, because every good Baptist church had a Wednesday night program, and the Wednesday night program was called Reality Check. Reality Check. And why we called it Reality Check was this, because from Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, they were bombarded with everything that you could possibly imagine. To say, no, the real life is out here. All the things that you need is out here. And we brought back to reality check to say, here's what you really need. Here's what you really need. A midweek dose of reality. Because what the world has to offer is temporary. What God has to offer is eternal. Reality check. And I think there's a handful of reality checks we need to have. The first one is this, is who we have. Who we have. That's the first reality check. We have a Savior who loves us. We have a God. Everything that we have beyond the fact that we have Jesus is a gift. Jesus himself is a gift, but everything else on top of that is just icing on the cake. It's just real simple math. All we need is Jesus. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. But everything else is just icing on the cake. It's just where we're at. And we come to that realization that that we are good with him. And everything else is good because of him. As we connect with God, that theme that we have for this year, as we are growing in him and we become less focused on us and more on him, it changes our perspective. It gives us a reality check. When we put our eyes on him and take our eyes off of everything else, it changes everything. We've been going through in our men's Bible study on Friday mornings uh, the, the book of Hebrews, and we just finished up Hebrews chapter 11. And Hebrews chapter 11 is a whole hall of fame of people of faith all the Old Testament characters of faith that had this faith without even truly knowing who Jesus was, who the Messiah was. They knew of a Messiah. They knew these things were happening. They had faith in God, and they were praised because of it. And the Hebrew writer was writing that to people who were struggling, who knew Jesus, to say, well, you know, I'm just really having a hard time. Maybe I should go back to my old way. Maybe that's what we should do. And so as this is unfolding, he, he says, these are the guys this is the, the, the ladies that we can look to to say, look at the faith that they had and we can hold on to. And he transfers into, in verse 1 of chapter 12, he says this, Therefore, therefore, all the things that we just learned about all these guys of faith, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, focusing on him, not on everything else that's out there, focusing on him, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. See, we look at it and we say, oh, look what we have. Look who we have. A reality check to focus on him and what he went through for us. The second one is this, is what we have. What we have. Think about materially and financially what you have. Because it's so easy to get caught up in it. Very few shows do I watch anymore where I watch commercials. Most of the time I try and fast forward through them. But I like to watch sports live. I don't really like to, to tape it or anything like that. But tape it. What year is this? But the thing is, I don't, I don't like to, I don't like to, to watch it TiVo'd. And so I watch it live, and with watching it live, you have to watch commercials. Well, I'm not sure if you realize this, but the NFL has some sort of contract with Ford. And um, they keep advertising 
the new 2015 Ford F-150. And I got to be honest with you. I look at my car that I drive, and I look at the Ford F-150 that's on the TV, and I think my car is older than any of the kids that I have, and that F-150 isn't. My car has a cassette deck in it. That car has a really cool GPS thing in it. My car has a VHS player in it because somebody put it in to put the little tiny TV that's like that big in it. And, and that car has something bigger in the dash than what folds down from the roof of my car. And I sit there and go, oh, man, if I only. Because that F-150, it actually has a button that the tailgate lowers itself. Because I can't, I can't reach up and pop that in. I remember when I was a kid, when we sit on the tailgate, when it would open, was you had to do the little jump and jerk and you had to pop it and finally fall down. This one has a button. You don't have to even worry about it. Man, that, that's difficult. Because when you look at my car and I say, oh, wait a second. Oh, it's so, so very difficult. My car has a lot of miles on it. I could probably... I mean, they advertise Mercedes-Benz, and they advertise Porsche, and they advertise Lexus, and they advertise, um, you know, uh, Audi and things like that. My reality check is I'm never going to afford any of those. So I will focus on the F-150, and I will, I will lay just myself before it in, in worship and praise. And, and, and that's, that's the problem. We, we get out of the reality check of what we actually have. Because I've been to many, many countries that as I've gone down the street, there's a guy that's whipping a donkey walking next to a cart full of whatever. And I'm like, wow, I have a car. I don't even have to go to another country. There's plenty of people here sitting at a bus stop waiting to get on a bus, and I forget that I have a car. But we get caught up in that, and I don't think I'm alone in that because you know what? We do it with, with TVs. I remember, <laughs> I remember going and getting a reality check when I, I went to... Uh, um, I won't mention who. I went to a house, and uh, we were, they had a football game on in the background. And they had an old tube TV, and it was about yay big. And I literally had to lean in and go, who is playing? What? what I can't even tell the colors. of the Who is that? And I had a reality check going, man, I shouldn't complain about my TV anymore because it's just fine. And what about houses? We walk into our house and say, oh, I wish I just had this and had this and had this. But you have to remember, we have so much more than so many others. Jobs. I don't like my job. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that we have a tendency to say that. Yeah, everybody gets up and leaves. All right. You know, we have a tendency to to look at our job and look at our things in in a way that that is from the wrong perspective. We we miss the reality check because guess what? When we say we don't like our job, there's probably plenty of people who would like to have a job. What about clothing? How many times you walked into your closet stuffed full of shirts and pants and you go, oh, I have absolutely nothing to wear. Anybody? Guilty? This morning maybe? Yeah, because I've been to houses that don't even have closets. That the person can actually literally say, I don't have anything to wear. We get caught up when we have a reality check. Sometimes we say, I don't have big enough, I don't have good enough, I don't have amazing enough. You know what, I've done it with our church. been like, oh, we need a bigger building, and we need bigger this, and we need a bigger nursery area, we need a bigger kid. And I'm like, hey, there's churches in Vietnam 
that they're meeting in that closet right there. And they're squeezing as many people in around one Bible, around a candlelight. You know, that, that's what they're doing. And I get caught up in what, what we don't have. It's so easy to do that. Ungratefulness can come when we're not paying attention to the reality of what we actually have. Because we have so much. And even in that what we have, that's material and financially. What about relationally? Our relationships aren't as good as so-and-so's. My kids aren't as good as so-and-so's. I wish I had different parents. I wish I had a different spouse or my spouse acted differently. Whatever it might be, you hear all of those kind of things and we get caught up in what we don't have versus what we do. And we have to have a reality check because all of that envy causes ungratefulness. But what if we changed our perspective? What if we saw it differently? What if we were the one versus the nine? The third reality check is how we have it. Because we'll look at our circumstances and say, oh, it's so blah. Like I said, you know, when our alarm clock goes off in the morning, we're like, oh, I have to get up again today to go to a job that I actually have or to work out because my legs and arms actually work or whatever it might be. We don't ever say that, but if we had that perspective instead, because I've said it before and I'll say it again, you don't realize how great it is to be healthy until you're sick. How great it is to be able to go until you can't, you know. You know what I mean? That was bad. I just cleared my throat. Um, but, but when that happens, we don't realize how good it is to have something until it is taken away. That's a reality check on how we have it. So here's what we need to do. Here's what we need to do to put this into action, to walk out of this room and, and have a different perspective. We need to decide to turn blessings and really everything, but every blessing into praise. We have to make a decision. Every blessing that God gives us to turn it back to praise. Maybe you've heard that song before, uh, Blessed Be Your Name by, uh, well, lots of guys sing it. Chris Tomlin's one. We've sang it in here before. When you sing it, it says, every blessing you pour out, I'll turn back to praise. Every blessing you pour out will turn back to praise. How often do we not do that? And when we don't do that, when we don't turn it back to praise, you know what happens? Every blessing I don't turn back to praise turns into pride. It turns into pride because we think we deserve it. We think we're owed it. We think that God has to give it to us. Once again, that reality check is there. But when we change our attitude and we change all of that, when we realize that every good thing is a gift from God, it gives us an attitude of gratitude that we are grateful that he has given us anything at all. Is it easy to do? No, it's something we have to learn. Look at what Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 11. It says, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I have learned. It's a learning process. You're not going to walk out of here and be like, yep, reality check just hit me. I'm all good. I'm grateful now. That's not going to happen. It's going to be a process of learning, of applying. It's like faith. It grows in us. Since I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. See, if we're content in God and the fact that we have Jesus Christ, everything else is just icing on the cake, it changes our whole perspective, and we learn to be okay with what we have. We learn to be okay with that. Check out what it says in Ecclesiastes 6, 9 about this reality check. It says, Better is the sight of the eyes 
than the wandering of the appetite. This is also vanity and striving after the wind. Better is what God has put right here before you in your hands than everything else that you don't have in your hands. Everything else that's around, better is right there because it is striving and is vanity and striving after the wind. Proverbs 15, 15 through 17 says this, All the days of the afflicted are evil, but the cheerful of heart has a continual feast. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than a great treasure with trouble with it. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fattened ox and hatred with it. We have to put ourselves in perspective. That's what it really is all about. Having the perspective, having a reality check that God is and everything else isn't. Everything else is just a a blessing on top. Instead of saying, I wish I had, be glad for what you have. Thank you, God, for Jesus and eternal life. Thank you, God, for a job because there's those without. Thank you, God, for a car because there's those without. Thank you, God, for a place to live because there's those without. Thank you, God, for friends, for family, for you fill in the blank. Thank you, God. It's funny, uh, I got a text yesterday from a family who said, um, hey, Matt, just want to know if the the messages are online. And I said, yeah, actually they are. And... uh, I said, generally Tuesday afternoons by the time we have them up there. So if you want to listen to it, that, that'd be great. And they said, okay, well, we just want to make sure because we're, we're going to stop coming to service for a little while because our, our baby's been crying and we kind of get the looks and, and uh, we, we just want to make sure that we're not upsetting and disrupting anybody and so on and so forth. And I told them, I said, we'll see you tonight. And you bring your baby and I don't care if they're crying or not. I said, because I'm thankful that a family wants to be in church and wants to start their kids off right by being in church Distraction, throw that aside. Because it's about being thankful and having the right perspective. And that's what it is to me. Wrap up with this phone. Thanks. Thanks, Wyatt. You're, you got it. You're right on cue, buddy. I'm thankful. I'm thankful. This is a poem that I found. It said, I'm thankful for the teenager who's complaining about doing dishes because, because it means that they're at home. I'm thankful for the taxes I pay because it means that I am employed. I'm thankful for a lawn that needs mowing and windows that need cleaning and gutters that need fixing because it means I have a home. For all the complaining that I hear in the government because it means we have freedom of speech. For the pile of laundry I need to do because it means I have clothes and for the alarm that goes off in the morning because it means that I am alive. It really is about perspective, having the right perspective, being the one. Will you be the one to praise God for what you've already done? We're going to sing a song, and I'm going to invite the band to come back up here. The song's called 10,000 Reasons. Bless the Lord, O my soul. I want to send everything from my inside out to to just bless God and say thank you to God for the 10,000 reasons. When I wake up in the morning, there's a song I'm going to sing, and I'm praying that I'm going to be singing that song by the time the evening comes because of everything that's happened during that day. Say, God, thank you. Bless the Lord, O my soul. But what I want to do is I I want to take just a moment to pause. Because maybe God's tugging at you about something. Don't know what it is. Maybe there's something that you're struggling with in, in the gratefulness or being ungrateful for. Maybe there's something you've forgotten to just say thanks to God for. So I just want to, to kind of open a prayer time up. I'm going to ask Jerome to kind of play in the background. But just to say a quick one word or one sentence, thank you, God, for this. So let's 
pray together and, and just pop them out. There doesn't have to be any rhyme or reason to it other than that, that you're thankful. So let's pray together. I'll open it, and I'm just going to kind of leave it open-ended as you guys go and then let Jerome lead us into that song, singing 10,000 reasons. Let's pray. Father, thank you. We are absolutely grateful. We are absolutely thankful for who you are, for what you do, for how you do it, for what you've blessed us with, and even the things that you haven't, because it teaches us about gratitude. God, I look across my life, and I, I am so very thankful, first and foremost, for you, that you have given me your son, Jesus, that you have brought me from a place of without to being completely and totally with, that you have changed me, that you're continuing to change me. I'm thankful for an amazing family, an amazing wife who supports me. I'm thankful for kids who are growing in you, who know about you, who are learning more and making their own decisions of faith. I'm thankful for a home to live in. I'm thankful for a church to lead, the opportunity to be able to serve, to serve you in a, in a way that I get to do every day what I love, what you've called me to do. I'm thankful for a body of believers who want to praise your name, who want to connect with you, and as connecting with you, to pass on to a community who needs to hear about you. God, you've been so amazing, and I just want to say thank you.